hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chits, Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to episode 381 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice. Of Young Adult Cancer, I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year Young Adult Brain Cancer Survivor, coming to you now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing Young Adult Cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. My co-founder, Kenny, is off on a mission of grandeur, driving a Camaro across the country as part of the 2016 Stupid Cancer Road Trip. If he were here, he would say that we are welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners right here to the Stupid Cancer Show, and that you can never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is also not okay that 72,000 adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Got a great show for you, part of our CancerCon April series, Caregivers Matter. That is true. Caregiving has always been at the very cornerstone of Stupid Cancer's DNA. Our mission, our programs, CancerCon's agenda reflects this wholeheartedly. So to give us a sneak peek of what caregivers can expect this April in Denver at CancerCon, we're going to be joined by young adult caregiver Colin Farrow, who is the Director of Operations at Epic Experience, and Jenny Morgan, a licensed social worker, the Director of Social Services at Rocky Mountain Hospice. And our caregiver spotlight is on one and only Brent Benson from Billings, Montana. Hello. Hello. So Kenny's gone. No left early. Yep. Al is in Baltimore. Yep. And I'm stuck with you guys. <laughs> hey, deal with it. You could say stuck with. I like being stuck with you guys. You make things happen. It's good. I'm oh, going to yeah. give Sean the spotlight first because, dude, total entry and re-entry in Denver last week. It was fun. Big deal. Yeah. We, uh, we had Toast Denver, our annual fundraising cocktail reception over there in Denver. We raised over $13,000 at about 100 people. Join us. It was an amazing night. What a hotel, too. The Art Hotel. Yeah. What a great venue. It feels like you're in the MoMA. Yeah. Very modern. 
as you would think. It, it actually is. I didn't realize this. It is next to the Denver Museum of Art. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Things you learn from obviousness in Denver. Yeah, it was it was remarkable. Um, we we uh, took lots of great photos. People dressed up real nice. It was super cool. Um, uh, Kelly Herbert gave a great speech, and uh, Daniel, what was his name? Sorry, the the uh, Stephen Estrada. Stephen Estrada. I thought it was Daniel Estrada. What a great guy. Oh yeah. What a great guy. What a great story. Um, we got to get him more involved. Yeah. And his partner too. Absolutely. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, yeah. So special thanks to all of our sponsors and everyone that made it possible. And we look forward to Toast Denver 2017. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We we had an amazing volunteer committee make it happen. And uh, if anyone's listening and in the Denver area, you can help. You can join. Yeah. It's a big deal. So thank you very much. And uh, the VIP club for CancerCon just broke a record. Yeah. Last year we raised just over 109000 um, and currently it is now April 11th. Uh, we're just shy a few bucks of 120000 It's amazing. Yeah. Really amazing stuff. People are giving and getting involved, and it's, it's become a really big deal. Yeah. It really makes a transformative impact. Every dollar really helps our cause. So, so says the director of development, <laughs> Sean Shapiro, everyone. He gets, <laughs> you're doing your job. You're doing your job. Uh, but then, of course, I mentioned in the uh, opening segment, Kenny is on the road trip. That's stupidcancerroadtrip.org. You can hashtag at SCRT2016. He went to New York, uh, Boston, Buffalo. He went to, um, where'd he go? He went to uh, Columbus, Ohio. He's in Ann Arbor today. He'll be in Chicago tomorrow. We're posting webisodes. He's hashtagging everything on, on Instagram. Um, it, it's really a big deal. He's everywhere. <laughs> he is everywhere, man. Good job. And he's with uh, John Xavier, our partner, and and they're periscoping. Yes, they're periscoping at the uh, on, on Twitter at, at Stupid Cancer. So if you're not already subscribing or following us there, do that because it's really cool tech that we didn't have last year. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, and uh, yeah, so and Mal, you're cancer conning away. <laughs> Three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Three weeks. Yeah, it's happening. It is happening. It's amazing, and I, I'm actually going to Europe this week on a uh, business trip for Amgen, which is very exciting. Ah, um, I get to meet some of the young adult advocates in Europe who run some of the AYA programs out there, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of Europe in our future. See how differently they do things. Yeah. So I, so I'm going to Prague, and I asked my uh, my cousin who lived there for like two months a while ago, and apparently the the, the Europe's oldest synagogue ever from the medieval days is still standing. So I'm going to go see it if I have time. Yeah. Very... I mean, all the history is over there. Yeah. The right. fun stuff. Well, the Eddie Izzard has a great line. You're not from Europe where the history comes from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, our history only goes back so far. I know exactly. It's, it's uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it and I, I can't wait. This is, it's a busy month, but it's a good month. Busy is the word. Oh, and we can announce this on the air cause we'll be promoting it tomorrow. Um, California, uh, Colorado governor, Jim, John Hickenlooper. Yes. Is opening CancerCon. He is coming to CancerCon. Yes, so it's we very have, exciting. We have yes, Colorado. We'll have the, governor. the governor of Colorado is going to be welcoming all of us and, and kickstarting the opening ceremonies. So exciting! Hello, governor. Hello, governor. It's a really, it's a really big. We're very honored to have him uh, committing himself to our cause and uh, hanging out with us. I know, like that. He's the governor. How cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right, so let's kickstart our show. 
Since 2012, Brent Benson has been a caregiver to his wife, Dawn, diagnosed with EHE. We're going to find out what that is in 1998. He's become a truly powerful advocate for cancer survivors and caregivers working at the state and national levels to increase awareness and impact change. Please welcome Dr. Brent Benson. Hello, Brent. A doctor of chiropractic, that is a pretty awesome career. Yes, yes, very very wonderful. Something I was exposed to at nine years old that made a change in my life, and that's when I decided I was going to grow up to be a chiropractor. At nine? Wow, that's pretty early to know what you want to be when you grow up. Um, like, I, like I told you, it changed life. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a chiropractic Kool-Aid drinking patient. It changed my life when I was sick, and it made all the difference for me in those days. So uh, good for you. It definitely can be of help in a lot of situations. Like I tell people, not the answer for everything, but can at least be an adjunct and helpful with with some conditions. So. Well, it's like part of the bat belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the tools. Yes. One of the tools. Exactly. Well, we're excited to have you on the show and to, to have you at CancerCon. Um, you have been a caregiver to Dawn Scott, who we know and love very well, and uh, we want to focus on that, you know, you exist and that caregivers matter and that you have your your stories and your own issues and how do you navigate that and what was it like for you being married and going through this process so would you be willing to share with us from the beginning how that went down um yes um like i always tell people uh dawn and my story is a little different the first time Don and I met, and I'm going to say met as in professionally, was seven years after she'd been diagnosed. Um, We were in different places in our life and did not start dating until 14 years after she was diagnosed. Um, My wife's condition, she is stable. She is now 18 years out stable. She will never be uh, clear. She is just stable, and that is as good as it will get. Um, So starting out in our relationship, a lot was based on honesty of from her side of what she knew of her condition, honesty of my side of what I thought of it, and what our expectations were of each other, you know, having no idea what you're going to encounter going forward, which was something that she was very straightforward with me you know i don't know where this goes and and i was very straightforward with her i'm not sure any of us ever knows where anything's going health-wise you know so we were very open and honest with each other we've encountered lots of obstacles in the last four years but we work together and um overcome them uh, in in our part of the world we don't have a ton of um I'm going to say we have good medical care, but not a ton of advanced stuff like bigger population centers. So when we run into the need for that, it, it requires travel, both which is hard on her and uh, time-wise, uh, work-wise for her, um, just more stress and pressure for her. But, you know, I always tell her we're a team, and we work at it that direction, and try to keep our senses of humor sometimes that's all you have um that's a great tool you know um, i was just talking some of the... sorry but i was yeah. just just talking with someone today about the 
complete disparity between getting treated at like an MD Anderson or a Sloan Kettering versus getting treated in a smaller rural area of the country that may have a good cancer center, but to your point, may lack some of the core resources and require patients to travel out of pocket to get to the places they need to be. Right. Um, and, and like I said, Don being 18 years out from diagnosis and stable, a lot of the things that we have battled in the last four years, I would always caution someone who is a caregiver to a, a young adult survivor that part of what I feel like my job is is to help sort through what is actually related to the cancer diagnosis and what might get lumped in with the cancer diagnosis. Um, it, what I have seen at various points, not always true, but there are cases where you meet a new physician of whatever sort, and as soon as they know you're a survivor, everything's related to your cancer, and that means that in my wife's situation, there might not be a lot to be done for it. Not all of her conditions are related to 18 years ago. Some are, some aren't. So part of my job is to advocate to sort out what is and what isn't and take care of the stuff that we can to get her better care and, you know, better outcomes. Well, I think, again, going back to the sort of the origin story here, we've had a lot of people on the show who were dating and then someone got sick and they stuck with them or left with them. We've had people on the show who are married and the, the spouse abandoned them at, di at diagnosis. You met Dawn long after her treatments, and it's we, we talk, you know, like you know what you're getting. And right. we don't use the word baggage as, as disparagingly as, as some other mm -hmm. people do, but it's welcome baggage because we know the person is really – in need and wants to have that level of support and it takes a special person to get it and and do that so i commend you for that choice but it, it seems like you've had this like built into your dna for a very long time and you were almost born for this role um yeah i i would guess to some degree i mean i never i never look at it as i do anything special sometimes don gets upset with me i just do what needs to be done but i I guess to some degree, you know, growing up, uh, relating to my mother and some of the aspects off of that side of the family, these are these are things you do. A caregiver, obviously, that's part of my profession. Um, completely different when you're dealing with, with patients versus your spouse, but it's part of what you do for people. And like you said, maybe it's a programming thing. Um, but I... I just never looked at it as anything specifically special. You do do what needs done to help the person you love, anything you're capable of. Exactly, exactly. And I see you're doing a lot of um, sort of legislative work with ACS in D.C., or what, what's um, your role in that? Yeah, um, actually, uh, my wife is the lead ambassador for American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, which is their legislative arm for the state of Wyoming. So, um, like, last September, we went back to D.C. Um, with some asks for our two senators and congressperson um, that we worked at. One of, one of those that I followed closely that went through was the $2 billion increase for uh, National Institute of Health, and there was a portion of that that was for, for uh, National Cancer Institute also, because those... 
um, branches had, if you did the calculations, had actually received cuts due to not keeping up with costs over time. So we we worked in an effort. I always look at it this way: in an effort to help all cancer patients, all survivors, and their families. But because my wife's personal story is always a focus with her work, it always brings it back to the difference that young adults face. Because I've, I feel very strongly that, like we've talked about at OMGs and cancer cons, the, the experience is very different at that certain point of life when nobody's looking for it, when they don't expect it. So well, we, there you go. we try, to, try to bring that, that story to people's awareness that, you know, this can happen and you need to pay attention to this population also. So, and actually that ties into a lot of the pivoting that our community is doing that I'll be talking about in Denver, which is, you know, we're going to keep doing what we do when we know really well, which is advocating and doing great programs and services. But from the perspective of dignity and navigation, we look at fertility as an issue and almost the civil liberty. And many women are not given their, I call it their Miranda rights, that chemotherapy can make you sterile. And what does that conversation mean? What does it look like? Who's going to pay for it? And how do you navigate those waters at that age? But I see that you guys are foster parents. And I I think that that also speaks volumes about the the uniqueness of what makes young adult cancer different than other age groups. Would you like to share with us that story for parenting? Um, I can can share... I, I obviously I wasn't there at Dawn's time of diagnosis. I know that she was told with I've I've had a PA who looked at her chemo regimen years later and said they were either going to kill you or kill it. And that's the way it was left. She was told at the time that she would be sterile. Um she went through her rounds of chemo and I'm trying to recall I think it was about a year year and a half later that she started cycling again and thought, well, you know, maybe they're wrong. And we had kind of thought that um, we've been through, you know, several miscarriages, um, some later than others, you know, as late as nine, ten weeks, not positive as to why, but don't seem to be able to get that direction. So we've turned, um, we've actually had three foster children over three years, and those are always kind of unknown entities. You don't know how long you're going to have them. Um, we had a 17-year-old for a month originally. Um, we had a two-and-a-half-year-old for a little, right about five months, and currently we have one that's about to turn 19 months old that we've had for 10 months. Um, fantastic experiences. Um sometimes hard on the heart agreed Um, like we said because you you never know what the future holds but like i tell dawn that's kind of the way life is we never know what the future holds we sometimes we think we do but we don't always you know so really rewarding experience um i see it bring uh mothering nature out in dawn um she loves to interact with them enjoys them but it's something that has always been a tough spot for her because unlike some situations she doesn't she didn't know that she couldn't but she also didn't seem to be able to um so you kind of get caught in that 
that middle ground. And that I've watched be very hard on her, not not knowing where things are going, you know. So let's – I'm also reading here, you're a former Olympic amateur boxer. I don't want to mess with you. Definitely don't Olympic mess hopeful. With you. hopeful. Oh, okay. There's a qualifier there. I, was, I wasn't good enough. Uh, I was close. I was giving you props, <laughs> man. I was giving you props. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll throw I'll throw the, the qualifier in there because there's a difference between making it and – not quite making it. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But let, let, let's talk about how did that experience play into who you've become in your practice now? As far as my boxing, you mean? Yeah. Um, the things I would tell people from my boxing background, um, obviously tons of discipline, um, tons with a sport like that of self-reliance um, when something goes wrong. Uh, you know who to blame. I, I should orient you a little. My practice is different than most. I am the only person that works here. I do everything, top to bottom, start to finish. Every second of patient interaction is with me. Um, at least that way I know who to blame if something's not the way I want it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but but the background, the discipline to, to push yourself, um, you know, because there's, there's no one else to to rely on. I actually used uh, a lot of chiropractic care to help me with performance-based stuff when I was competing. Um, I always had people say, well, it's no wonder you boxed. That's why you had problems. And I mean, <laughs> no, those, were, those were before I started boxing. <laughs> right. So, but, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of discipline there. You learn how to interact with a lot of people, um, how to take bits and pieces from what everyone tells you, and maybe not everything they say is constructive for you, but parts of it are, if that makes sense. No, it does, and it clearly defines you as someone who is perfectly equipped to, uh, I, I guess, you know, to, to, what do they say, to to your your Dawn's, um, she's your better half, right? So she, she, mar- she married is. up, my <laughs> wife married up too, so I, I get that. So let me ask you one more question then. Uh, as a doctor of chiropractic, do you see cancer patients in your practice, and have you been able to understand anything unique about what that means for them? Um, yes, I have at various points. I guess the way I would preface that, um, in my profession, I, I tell people do there, there are lots of neat side effects that I see. Do I treat specific conditions other than vertebral subluxation, fixated motion segments, things like that. No, I don't treat other things than that. But one particular patient comes to mind. I used to have to call our local cancer center here and ask about her latest scans and where they were finding things so that I could make sure that I could adjust her right sacroiliac joint safely because I don't want to make anything worse for her, but she had had a a lifelong off-and-on issue with her right lower back. And one day I was talking to one of the doctors at the cancer center, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't understand why you do this. You're not helping with her cancer. And I said, no, but why should she have to suffer with low back pain too? Right. You know, right. Take, take care of the part I can address and and give her one less thing to worry about. And that's really what I try to do in a lot of those situations. I have one currently that she's worked through about four months of chemo, a breast cancer patient. 
Um, she's working toward getting her five months in so that she can go through reconstruction. Um, actually, I think my road I've walked with my wife is extremely helpful to her. Um, this lady's a little bit older than I am, middle 40s, but she looks at me and tells me, do you understand that nobody knows how to talk to a cancer patient? They're too scared to say anything. So she uses me as a bit of an outlet at points to voice her concerns and just to feel like she has someone who she can talk to who understands. And like I tell her, I said, I don't understand, but I can try to understand, if that makes some sense to you. <laughs> no, it makes complete sense. Uh, so in our in our final minute, I guess we, we always like to ask our guests, you know, if you had a message or, you know, I don't know if you, you blog or journal or, or how you, you share your story, but what would you... What advice would you give to, you know, a young adult caregiver who is entering a relationship or who is even in a relationship that, like you said, where the, the bomb goes off, you know, mid, mid, uh, mid relationship? What's your strength? What's your, what would you like other people to know about that? Um, when, when you're starting into a situation like that, dealing with, with all of that adversity, I think one of the important things to do is to try to take a little bit of a step back, look at the entire scenario, um, you know, don't, back to the sense of humor thing that, uh, that I said earlier, people really, in my opinion, at times have a tendency to focus on the bad news, um, try to look for the good stuff and the things that make you strong. Probably one of the best pieces of advice I got out of the caregiver session in at OMG 2013 when I went with Don the first year after we'd been married was as a caregiver you have to remember that if you don't take care of yourself you won't be there to take care of them. Very that is, fair. That is a struggle for a caregiver I know but it's something that we need to remember at points that that we give all we can but sometimes you have to take care of yourself, too. Well said. Uh, Dr. Brent Benson, uh, since 2012, been caregiving, uh, caregiver to Dawn Scott, who's diagnosed with, uh, I think it's like 37-syllable sarcoma. That it's ep epithelioid hemangioendothelioma. Gesundheit on that one. That's a big deal. <laughs> but congratulations for being amazing. I can't wait to see you in, uh, in Denver. And congratulations also for making the final five for the oh, Get Busy you. Living Caregiver Award. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Brent Benson. Have a great day. All right, Mal. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss a meetup again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. All right, we've got a lot of events happening. Uh, you can see Kenny on the road trip in Ann Arbor, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Billings, Seattle, Anchorage, Portland, Salt Lake City, and in Denver. And then we have regular meetups, a lot of them, uh, happening in... Chandler, Oak Park, Cherry Hill, San Diego, Jersey City, Tucson, Apache Junction, 
Flagstaff, Las Vegas, Grand Junction, Glenwood Springs, Queens, Houston, and Baton Rouge. Wow. So many events. That's a lot. Yes. Meetups. All right. No one should pay cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our online mobile community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now on your mobile device. Instapeer. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. For young adults, clinical trials are a red-hot mess. So we are throwing our hat in the ring to make some sense of the madness. Introducing I Am Not a Trial. Real young adults, real faces, and real stories plucked straight from our own community. Watch the entire video series online now at IamNotAtrial.com. Support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's StupidCancerStore.org. Be proud, wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, in our main segment here on Caregivers Matter... Colin Farrow works for Epic Experience, where he uh, and his team provide adult cancer thrivers the chance to ski, paddle, and ride past the three words, I have cancer. He's been a caregiver of his brother. And joining him is uh, Jenny Morgan, licensed social worker, director of special uh, social services at Rocky Mountain Hospice. Uh, she works with those affected by cancer for many, many years through my good friends at uh, Can't Make a Dream and here at Super Cancer, returning champion speaker to our events. Please welcome Colin Farrow and uh, Jenny Morgan. Hello. So it's a good spectrum to have you both on in the segment at the same time. Uh, to have a young adult caregiver and uh, a licensed social worker who focuses on this very issue. Uh, let's start with Jenny. I, I feel like it's such a delicate and unpreserved specialty to appreciate caregiving through therapy. Have you found that there's been an evolution in the practice to wrap your arms around this more? Yes. I feel like as um, our horizons expand with young adults and, care- and cancer, that we are looking more at the caregivers. Um, and it's, it's really a cool thing. You know, not a lot of people do it. And um, as there's more education out there, lots more people are, are thinking about the folks caring for those survivors. It's nice. So let's, let's start with your origin. What brought you or drew you into this line of work? Um, well, um, I started at Can't Make a Dream, and my favorite group of folks were always the siblings of cancer patients when I worked out at Can't Make a Dream. And so that got me thinking, well, how are the parents functioning, and, and how are the other folks, the adults, handling this? And as I ended up getting my master's degree, it just seemed like a good fit. Not a lot of people were doing this work. And I felt like I could really connect with caregivers in a way that was meaningful for everyone. Um, and it just kind of organically happened that way. I think I brought this up with you when you were on the show before, but I'm an alumni of Can't Make a Dream, and I, I sing the praises of the camp. It, it was a transformative experience. I went in 2005 or 2006, back when mm-hmm. Stu was running it. and um, Yep. 
amazing work. Have you found that to be a, a source of, I mean, I guess, e- education from what you can distill out to other practitioners? Yes, I have. Um, camp has been, um, you know, there's always professionals on staff at camp, um, volunteer staff or regular staff. So it's a good way to talk to them. But camp lately in Montana uh, has been pulling together these other groups of people serving young adults and adults with cancer and doing these um, little like day retreats where we can get together and see what other folks are doing and then disseminate our information that way to folks across the state. And Um, so it's been nice there. No, and that's a great segue into another amazing experience for young adults facing cancer, epic experience. Uh, .org, uh, Colin Farrow Operations Director. I think that your title on LinkedIn, but you're kind of every man that works there because I know you, you kind of do everything for everything. But you uh, are a young adult caregiver, and I think that's three words that don't often go together. But let's talk about that. Yeah, so um, I uh, I work for Epic Experience. Um, it's an organization that's run by myself and my mother, uh, Nancy Farrow. Uh, she was the founder back in two, 2012, and um, cancer came into our lives in uh, 2007 uh, through my brother. And my family were originally from California, and we'd have been out in Denver, Colorado, um, going to college. And his senior year, my junior year of college, um, next thing you know, we, he finds out that he's been diagnosed with tissue cancer and just rocks his world. You know, he's supposed to be graduating college, and things he's supposed to be looking up and moving on with his life. And he just fell into a funk of what now, what next? And so I thought, you know, I took it upon myself to say, all right, it's really time to, you know, help kind of just lift his spirits. But how do I do that? What resources out there? I didn't know of anything. So I was just trying to play random games in the house. You know, while I was working a job, got some classes at school, trying to spend some money to get him out, doing some activities, anything to try and just get him out and, and, and not in his own head. And uh, it proved to be a struggle because I didn't know the answers. But, you know, luckily with some research and organizations like Stupid Cancer, we were able to find some outlets to be able to um, get him some support. And uh, now it's something that I've become so passionate about that I do it as my full-time job, and I love it. I go back, and this is sort of a story for both of you to respond to. I was diagnosed at 21, as you know, and my brother at the time was 18, and he just started – uh, freshman year of college when I was graduating senior year of college. And it was insanely challenging because, as one might expect, I needed the lion's share of the attention because I was the one that was given six months to live. And it was very obvious that, that he was sort of not intentionally eschewed from the family, but he was away at college, and it wasn't something that was in our mind's eye. How did you, Colin, uh recognize that you could have been sort of lost in the translations when Mike was uh, diagnosed and how did, how did you rally around that? You know, for me, I think it was never, um, as my family has always told me, I think I've always been a caregiver at heart since I was younger. I always worry about everyone else versus myself. And I never, um, for myself, I think it was, I was okay if he was okay. Um, but it wasn't until later on that actually I went on a, um, first defense um, trip, met some people, and I was like, oh, it's okay for me to let my feelings known. Um, but I didn't know that. I think I was stuck in such a caregiver role in my head that I didn't know I needed support. 
or I needed to reach out to anyone. So it really wasn't anything that came to light for me, honestly, until um, I knew that there was an avenue to talk about it. And so that's why I'm so, um, for myself, so comfortable and so um, adamant about expressing to caregivers that, hey, there are some out there, some organizations out there that they just want to give you a chance to talk and have some of other people to relate to. And that's really what I'm all about. Because I didn't know that I needed that time for myself until it was put in front of me. So, Jenny, in terms of caregivers, how do you even approach this situation? Many times we hear stories where people who are caregivers don't even realize that they're caregivers. And, and that's not a word that enters. They're just doing what is absolutely viscerally, naturally occurring in their mind. And where does the intervention happen where they understand some of the unique factors about burnout and caring for yourself and your own mental well-being? Oftentimes, it happens after they've had a little bit of a breakdown or there's another concerned person, a family member or friend who sits down with them and says, look at everything that you are doing and how are you handling it all? And generally, that is a great way to start that conversation. It's a gentle way. It's kind of a holding them in your hands, in your arms and saying, you're doing such a great job and I think this is really hard, so what can we do to help you? Um, the folks that I've worked with a lot, it's usually they're, they're coming to their breaking point and they don't know how else to continue. And so that's when we can review what's been happening, how to cope with it, and, and better ways to kind of let some of those things happen with other people, try to lean on your support systems. So you are presenting <clears throat> a, 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 a session called You Matter Too at CancerCon. Mm-hmm. And I had the description is, you know, working with caregivers to learn coping skills for short-term survival and long-term caregiving success. What are the the top three or four things? And it's kind of sad that, that you know, it goes back to you don't know what you need. How can we get mm-hmm. caregivers to know what they need without having to have that breakdown? And what is it specifically you'll be addressing in the workshop? So to kind of get people to look at what they need, we're going to look at doing an inventory. Um, How much sleep are you getting? How do you feel your nutrition is? What's your energy level like? And these are are good ways to take a step back for everyone and and see what is the big picture that's going on with me. Where where are my needs being met? Maybe where are they not that I wasn't even aware of? Um, For a lot of folks with sleep, you know, anxiety, guilt, kind of cuts in on your sleep or just the logistics of things. And so we can look at that as the first place so that we don't have a breakdown. And then we can go from there. We're going to look at using short-term coping skills, like how to use your phone tree more or how to deal with some of the guilt in the moment, some mindfulness practices, so that over time, if you continue to practice these things and, and check in with yourself and use that inventory on your own, then you'll be able to have some long-term success. So, Colin, back to uh, Epic Experience, I'd love you to talk more about what actually happens on the events that you guys host. And also, you know, you have parents who are a caregiver to your brother as well. And maybe you can comment on the interaction you had as the sibling and the to the parents of, of Michael. Yeah, so... Um... First, you know, epic experience and the events that we've done up there. Um, you know, we um, do week-long adventure camps for um, cancer drivers, and that that includes anything from the summer camps to whitewater kayaking. We do um, a day we can do some um, horseback riding, 
Um, we'll do some fly fishing lessons like that if you want that. And our winter camps, which are everyone comes to, they're afraid of the cold. But once they come, they're absolutely just wild and have the best time. Um, but you do some different types of sledding, we'll say that, um, and uh, snowshoeing as well as cross-country skiing, but it's a blast. Um, but really it's just all about, you know, let's bring people together and just give them a little bit of avenue. And we do um, caregivers and we do um, survivors. So it's a great way for people to come and have a mutual understanding of something that it was an experience, but it wasn't all cancer. There's some adventure tied in. So when you get back and maybe you're just tired, you can say, hey, you know what, let's go out and let's do something together. And sometimes it's just, you know, let's go out and paddleboard on the pond. And sometimes you can have a very calming, peaceful conversation while you're out on those paddleboards. Sometimes cancer can come in or it won't, but it's just let's get out there and live life. Um, so, you know, that was started by my mom, Nancy, um, back in 2012. And she saw the um, impact that my brother had through, you know, survivorship and wanted to do, do more and, and find something that, you know, could help, you know, others because there's always a need in the cancer community. And so, you know, she when she was watching Michael go through it, my oldest brother, um, it hit her to the core because she was back in California. We were in Colorado. And both my parents, they couldn't be here. They couldn't touch their son to know he's okay. They couldn't, um, you know, take away his pain. And I think that was the hardest thing. I heard that over and over again from my parents. I wish I could just take away his pain. And it wasn't just physical. It was emotional. It was everything. Um, and being in California um, at the time, they've lived, since we got to Colorado and we're all here hunky-dory, bugging each other like crazy. But, um, you know, back then it was very tough to be able to um, sit back and not have the, have or be here in the present and be able to take care of him and hold him and, and let him cry to his parents. And I think Michael also needed them here and didn't know it until they showed up. You know, he, his heart rate monitor went through the roof when my mom came into the room. And that just showed, you know, how much she needed her and needed my parents around. And that must have been equally stressful for you, not just seeing your brother go through this, but seeing your parents go through this. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, like I said earlier, yes, I'm one of those people that I always want to take care of everyone. Um, you know, even before uh, my brother, I had some, you know, a, a girl that I dated that, um, you know, had some very serious, you know, health um, ailments that she was born with. Um, and, yeah, I've always had that caregiver bone in my body. And so I just want to take care of everybody and my parents as well and make them not be upset. And um, it, it, it really wasn't until that survivorship experience that I had that I really realized it was okay to let it go. Um, but I did. I tried to talk to my dad. I tried to talk to my mom. But I realized I was missing one. And I was in care of myself, but I have a younger sister. And she was a senior in high school. My parents were traveling out here all the time. And at that moment, she's the one that really got lost. She's the one that, you know, she came out a few years later on and finally said, you know, the boys got time to be able to have their parents, you know, throw parties for them at the house after, you know, um, rugby games or whatever, or have friends at the house just for a barbecue. I didn't get that because you guys were always in Colorado. I didn't get my normal experience. And so um, it's really good that she got to talk about it because it's easy, it easier for me on one end that I had Michael here and I was able to talk to him so I knew he was okay. She didn't know he was okay. We wouldn't call back home to check in on her. We wouldn't call back home just to talk to her. Um, and she, I think, was scared that she didn't want to call Michael. So she was kind of on an island. Um, so you learn those things later on in life. But you just, you know, that we try to do it up experiences. Paint that picture for our survivors at common and say, 
hey, you know, maybe reach out to this sibling or this loved one or just ask them the question, hey, how you doing? And so that's kind of how our family has turned into Epic Experience what it is today. And we just pride ourselves on taking care of individuals, and it really is a family atmosphere. And well, that's what we're about. No, and that's a great toss back to Jenny. Your your workshop is called, it's all about caregiving as a peer. Jenny, when you interact with patients, do you make them aware of the caregiver issue? Because obviously if you're, I, I was not even, I had guilt from what my parents went through long after I was done. It didn't even occur to me in the thick of it of what they had gone through emotionally, practically, financially in in that are you able to have that conversation with the patients without the caregiver in the room if they have one? and Or is it is it so um, not appropriate because they're already dealing with enough on their plate? I think it, uh, it's case-by-case case specific, obviously, but um, I have had those conversations with young adults before, um, especially if they're harboring a lot of anger. Um, and it seems like it's coming out at their caregiver. Oftentimes we will misplace our, our frustration and anger and the person who receives it is sometimes the person closest to us. And so I will sit down with folks without their caregiver and have that conversation. Um, I've also sat down with the caregiver and the patient and we've coached them through that conversation so that they can learn those skills and, and know that it's a safe place and it's okay and we all have our feelings and we all are going to have off days and good days. And, and this is how we're going to get through this together. And what do you see as the greatest challenge that you face dealing when you're talking? I mean, let's focus specifically on the young adult uh, or, or maybe the, the parent of the young adult. What, what do you see as the biggest challenge or the biggest disconnect um, in bringing them into sort of the therapeutic acceptance realm? Um, nobody wants to hurt the other person's feelings. <laughs> Um, the, the, the patient doesn't want to make their caregiver feel bad and the caregiver doesn't want to feel like they're burdening the patient with more than they've already got. You know, they're dealing with cancer, they're dealing with treatment. I don't want to put this new thing on them. And so that getting into that place where it's okay to talk about these things and owning your feelings and then helping the other person understand that there's not fault there. These are just feelings and we have to talk about this, um, kind of relieve some of the guilt and the burden there, and then people can freely express those. So that's the biggest challenge is just kind of getting over that that scary moment where if I say this, are they going to hate me forever um, because they have so much else um, getting there. No, and that makes that – makes, can you give us some success stories? Like give us a breakthrough example of when a caregiver realizes something or is able to recognize that they can take care of themselves and not feel guilty for doing that? I can. I, I have some folks here I've worked with in Butte, and it was um, it was a parent-child situation, uh, 15-year-old uh, dealing with cancer, and the parents um, had three other children, and they were just, they were, you know, they were sleeping, they weren't taking care of themselves, and their mom had had um, a little bit of a breakdown, mostly because she had missed her kindergartner's Christmas play. And, and that was our moment to kind of come in and talk about um, it's important to take care of your 15-year-old, um, but you have these other staff in here who can give you even this one-hour break to go see your kindergartner's very first ever Christmas play. Um, and, and that was her moment to go, okay, I have this support network. I need to use it. 
and take care of myself and so that I can also see these milestones for my other children, which is so important as a parent, you know, to see your children grow up like that. Um, and that, that was a good aha moment for her. And we were really able to work with her and her husband from there on out to maintain a better balance um, for themselves and for the other kids in the family. And, and and that's exactly what we're all hoping does happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm sure you're in a place for someone like me, like where were you when I needed you 20 years ago? It would have been nice to have <laughs> that in existence. And the same thing with Epic Experience and Make a Dream. These these experiences that were just not around at the time when it would have been so handy to have. So going back to Colin, how do you guys... I mean, it feels like you don't even have to advertise because it's such a need out there. As soon as people find out this exists, what do you do? You sign up and go. What's been the traffic like? I mean, you're building ambassadors with every event. And the loyalty to how transformative an experience it is must be so gratifying. Yeah, it is. And we get applications that are flying in every day. Um, You know, and and so it's hard because, unfortunately... um, there is a need um, out there within the community as far as we can't touch all the survivors we're getting applications for, at least within this calendar year. Um, you know, we're able to do seven camps this year, um, ranging for about 10 to 13 campers a camp. And unfortunately, we just have more applications than that. But we always like to remind ourselves, and, and you know, cancer, it's one of those things, we all need to partner together. If we want to make a difference, we truly need to partner together. And we need to make sure that nobody feels alone. So even if, you know, our camps, you know, we end up, we can't find a fit for someone with a date that works. We want to make sure that we can get them another, you know, resource through something like Camp Make a Dream, something like First Ascent, you know, um, or like here in Colorado, um, there's another organization um, that does some day hikes. And, and so there's other resources out there. We want to make sure we're sharing with everyone so everyone knows you're not on an island, you know, and, and that's what this is all about. That's what Super Cancer's about. That's what Cancer Con's about. Um, and so that's really, you know, the biggest thing. And that's what excites me. I was so excited to, you know, be, um, a part of CancerCon this year and doing the session, um, about, you know, caregiving titled, it's all about caregiving as a peer. Um, because the biggest thing is we get the applications for the survivors, but my passion, obviously, because of what I've experienced in my past is I want to get, I want to get the impact on caregivers and that's the hard one to fill. Because they, it's, this, it's that idea of, I'm okay, I don't need this. You know, I'm not the one that's, that's you know, so-and-so sick. But at the end of the day, you do need a break sometimes just to give yourself a chance to take that deep breath and say, it's okay to talk about this and, and give yourself a chance to um, decompress. And so um, as much as we get to survivors, I tell, I'm telling you caregivers out there that are listening, um, use the resources and survivorship programs out there for you as well, no matter what that is, because it is important to give yourself that chance and that break. So, Jenny, final word, you're also presenting on grief and loss, and caregivers clearly are the heart and soul on the receiving end of that. Um, that is incredibly delicate, and, and what have you found works, if that's even an appropriate word to use when you're dealing with clients? Um, well, kind of sitting in the moment and letting people feel their pain is the most effective tool that I've had to help 
folks kind of get into that mindset of acknowledging their grief and their loss, um, oftentimes we're too busy to even feel our loss. We have dishes to do or laundry or other things to take care of, and, and we just kind of brush it off. Or we might have a good cry for five minutes or so, but just acknowledging the loss, saying it out loud, and just sitting there in that moment with somebody to witness that is, is really the best way to, to begin that conversation and, and to start that process where we learn to live with a different relationship than one we had before, either with someone who's passed on or just a different relationship in our life um, with the things that have changed. Truly inspiring stuff. Uh, Jenny Morgan, LCSW, is the Director of Operations, uh, I'm sorry, the Director of Social Services at Rocky Mountain Hospice. She will be presenting at CancerCon on two different workshops, You Matter 2 and a session on grief and loss. And uh, joining her was Colin Farrell, caregiver to his brother, Michael. He is the he is the director of operations at Epic Experience online at epicexperience.org. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you at CancerCon. Thank you so Thank you much. Guys. All right, take care. Bye. All right, let's wrap this show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 381st episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank my guests, Brent Benson, Colin Farrow, and Jenny Morgan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you once again from the chemo deck. And on behalf of my team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you right back here on the next exciting episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, folks.